Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast today, I have a former Royal Marines Commando physical training instructor and professional MMA fighter and coach. With a professional debut in 2007 while serving as a Royal Marine, he has competed in promotions such as Bellator, Cage Warriors and was a contestant on the Ultimate Fighter representing Team UK. As a result of his hard work and dedication, he became the Bama World Lightweight Champion. He now runs his own gym, SBG Rochdale. Please enjoy a grumpy surfer conversation with a Royal Marines core legend and my friend, Martin Stapleton. Martin Stapleton, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. How are you doing, brother? I'm all right, mate. Thank you for having me on. Cheers yeah. for the invite. Yeah, not a problem. Anytime, buddy. Um, so, what have you done today and where are you? Uh, I've just got home now. I've been at the gym all morning, uh, early part of the afternoon, teaching classes and coaching and stuff. And uh, yeah, just got home now to, to, to catch you on this podcast, buddy. <laughs> nice one. How's all the COVID stuff happening in the gym? Are you, is, are you, you know, has it affected you that much? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we had to close down for the for just over five months, which uh, was difficult to say the least. Um, now, now we've reopened. It's it's a matter of managing the people that come in more than anything. I mean, there's all all the guys that train with us are really keen. They're all keen to get back into training and, and train as much as possible. But obviously, we've got to restrict the amount of numbers we can have in. Uh, we've got to restrict the contacts, and we've got to make sure we've got time to clean the the place out in between sessions and stuff. So it's it's making things very difficult, uh, you know, to say the least. But we, we're just finding a way, mate, and we, we're adapting, making sure we stick to the rules and um, adapting as we go along. Yeah, are you are you working the guys like they're in like their social bubble, so they got like a training partner? Because a couple of gyms um, that are down here, especially the one I go to, you have got like a partner, and that's it. That's your your only training partner that you're working with. Yeah, we pretty much just partner someone up for the whole session, and um, that's them. And I mean, this social bubble thing. Personally, I I don't even know what it means because you've got a school bubble, a work bubble, this bubble, that bubble, and all them bubbles are mixing with other people. And it's not as if we've all met thousands of people that we didn't know before. You, you're just mixing with the same people you were. I think the word bubble's just being used so the government think they're doing something, mate, but I don't even know what it means. I watched this uh, video um, probably halfway through like the lockdown, and it was all about contamination. And it was basically a, a girl had put some gloves on, all the masks, all like the PPE that you would normally wear. And... Um, she put some dye on her hands as if it was like the, the, the virus. And she started touching things like she pulled a mask on, she contaminated her face, then she contaminated like her purse, getting all that sort of thing out. And then after, after, after a bit of time, it didn't matter how much personal protection she had on, it was just fucking yeah. everywhere. Like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like that really, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, look at it like this. They're on about all this. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the, the coronavirus stuff. <laughs> but uh, look, I mean, Tesco's, mate, there's every day in every single Tesco's, thousands of people walk through there. There's no track and trace going on in them places. And what do you do at Tesco's? You pick some up, you read it, see if you want it right in front of your face. If you don't want it, you put it back down on the shelf for someone else to pick up. There's no track and trace going on there. There's no limit limitations on numbers. There's no social distancing going on there. So, I mean, 
what's the crack now? You know, they're just trying to punish the small independent businesses or what? I don't know, but you know, it is what it is. It's a it's a bigger conversation right there, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Madness, yeah. mate. <laughs> yeah, it fucking sucks a big fat dick. That's what it does. <laughs> uh, mate, for um, the people that probably don't know you that listen to the podcast, um, can you just you know tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, um, you know what you're doing. You know the gym you're working and all that sort of thing, please. Yeah, so um, I, I I was uh, with yourself in the Royal Marines for twelve years. Uh, I start I started. MMA whilst I was in the Marines um, about 2005 uh, and I had I think seven or eight professional fights whilst I was still in the Corps got to like 2012 and like I was fighting at the level where I either had to be doing it full time or not at all because it was like you can't really when, when you get to a certain level you know part time and it won't, just won't cut it anymore uh, I felt like I'd done everything that I wanted to do in the Corps there's loads of people doing shit loads more than me in the core, but obviously I felt like I got everything out of it. I wanted to get out of it. Got tons of, you know, good personal friends like yourself out of it and uh, felt like it was just time for me to move on full-time into MMA. So uh, my gym is SPG Rochdale. I run that full-time um, and yeah, that, that, that's all I do. Literally, I'm, I'm in the gym. If I'm, you know, if I'm not at home with my kids and wife, I'm at the gym. That's it. Are you still fighting at the moment? You still you still looking to fight or? Well, yeah, I mean, we had pretty pretty bad luck with fights recently because I had a, I had a fight scheduled for last September that we had to cancel because we had a bit of a family um, bit of bad news in our family, so I had to cancel that fight. Put the family first. Then I looked to fight in March again, and my, my opponent got pulled out of the fight for medical reasons on, on, on the day of the fight, about six hours before I was supposed to fight. Um, I was gonna, I was looking for something maybe June, July sort of time, but then the lockdown happened. And then I've had, I've had offers for fights for November, December time, but truth of the matter is I'm not going to fight again until there's a proper event where there's the crowd and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's just, it's just too difficult to, to like get a proper training camp in and make it make it pay at the end of the day when we know with all the stuff that's going on with COVID and stuff like that. So probably early next year I hope that I'll be competing again. Yeah, I guess if you've got a gym to run as well and you've got a business to run, you know, trying to make time for yourself and also, you know, get the classes in and, and do all your coaching. And I assume, well, I know for a fact that, you know, you have other fighters that you train as well. Yeah, well, That yeah. time management is going to be super, super tight, isn't it? Yeah, it is, mate. And I mean, that, that's one of the big things you learn in the core, isn't it, about time management. So it's it's paid dividends as the years have gone by. Five minutes before, five minutes before and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. That's a classic. That's what we're doing right? now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the whole world's on hurry up and wait. Yeah, man. Uh, let's go right back, mate. So, um, you know, where where did where were you born? Where did you grow up? You know, how how did you get to join the Royal Marines in the first place? Well, so I, I mean, I grew up in Rochdale. I still live in Rochdale. I'll never live anywhere else. I love this town. Um, I feel lucky that in the core and in MMA, I've managed to travel the world and get to see a lot of different countries and. I think a lot of the time when you go to different countries on holiday, you kind of go in as a tourist. You don't really see the, you know, how people live and the, the real culture behind it and stuff. But I feel like in the core, 
when you get to visit them countries, you get to see the way things really, you know, where, where people are really living and stuff. The same in MMA, when you go in there to fight, you, you do actually get to see a bit. So I feel lucky that I've, I've, I've been able to do that. And I'll always come back to Rochdale as my home because I just love this place. I grew up here. This is where my gym is. Um, I joined the Corps because one of my best mates, uh, Matty Williams, he actually joined the Corps in the end. He was, uh, I was always considering joining the military. And my dad was in the Fusiliers. So, uh, that, you know, that was probably what I was considering. Then my mate, Matty Williams, was like, have you heard of the Royal Marine Commandos? You know, I was like 16. He's like, no, never heard of that. What's that? And he started showing me some videos and I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And, and that's literally it. I made that decision, put my application in and Bob's your uncle. Did you start any like, uh, you know, classic sort of like 80s, 90s stuff where, you know, you go down to the YMCA, you try a bit of karate or taekwondo like I did and you're like, that, that is pretty chuff. Or did you do anything like that? Well, before MMA, you know, I did, I did boxing at one of the local boxing gyms down here. Nothing, nothing to shout about. I was never like a, a good competitor or anything like that. But I was boxing two, three times a week. And I did a bit of Thai boxing, um, that, you know, down at a local Thai boxing gym as well. Same thing, loved it. Uh, I did do a few. I mean, when I first got into MMA, I come home and I, like, Googled MMA in Rochdale or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Rochdale and all that sort of stuff. And, like, a, a local Jiu-Jitsu place came up. So I went up there and they were all, like, they were wearing... UFC gloves and stuff like that. So when I got there, I thought, oh, yes, this is legit. This is what I'm after. <laughs> and like, after about the first five minutes, I was like, this is not legit. This is not what I'm after. This is just a load of bollocks. Um, so then I, after that first experience, I, I kind of um, did a bit more searching and I found Quantum Gym over in Diggle, which was run, run by the Butlin brothers. I uh, went straight over there and they, and they were like light years ahead of the time. This was like, 2004 or something and they are they already had a cage and a boxing ring and them them guys were like like i said they were like years ahead of the time they had like nagura come over and stay with them they had eddie bravo coming over staying with them and people like that back in the day when people most people in the uk had never even heard of these people um so i was again i was really lucky to land the uh land with them guys they, they're some of my closest friends now and um yeah, kind of went from there. It was funny though because I actually, uh, I actually met the guys from the McDojo who were, you know, were teaching all the, oh, let's just call it bollocks for one of a better word right now. <laughs> and I actually seen them in, in the town centre, and they were like, "Oh, what are you up to?" And I told them about Quantum Gym and how they train, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we should go over and spar and see how we get on and stuff." And I was like, "No, no, lads, this is a different thing compared to what you're doing." You got to understand if you go there to spar, you're going like you're a day one beginner. You're like the black belt you've got on your waist when you get there, it's just going to hold your belt up. That they hold your pants up. That's it. Um, I don't think they ever came over, but um, it was a funny contrast because it was in a, within a couple of weeks, you know. But all good. Yeah. So when did when uh, when did you join the core? Was it? What, 2000. 2000, oh, so... Yeah, yeah, when, yeah 2000. When, What date did you join? Uh, November, I think it was mid-November, Mate, year 2000, yeah. Do you know, it, it's, it's, it's really weird, because I joined in May 2000, and... Um, yeah, so what troop would you have been in then? I was in 787 troop. Well, I was in 797, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
because I I passed out with seven nine one eventually. Ah right, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was too laid back, and people thought I was loafing and <laughs> all that classic <laughs> stuff. Yeah, well, <laughs> probably yeah. Should have told them I was being efficient. It is time, uh, and time management. That's why I was late for everything. <laughs> Quality. Yeah, man. So, uh, where, where did you go after you passed out of training? Then, did you go straight to a unit, or? Yeah, I went straight to four two. Uh, again, I, I, I feel like I was really lucky in my, in my time in the corps because I went straight to four two, and we went straight out to America on a um, exercise black horse. I don't know if they still do black horse or if it's. But when when I when I went on black horse, it was um, like six weeks in the mountains and six weeks desert training. Then you had like a week off in Vegas and stuff. And then we came back from there and it was straight to over to Cross McGlen for six months in Northern Ireland. And then obviously, as soon as I got back from there, it was like 2003. It was the old um, get your boots on, lads. We're off to Iraq. So busy times, but lucky to have all them experiences. Yeah. How did you, uh, how did you find that Iraq tour? Because uh, I did a podcast with, um, with, with Goose um, a couple of oh, weeks yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, seen, yeah. Yeah, well, Goose was my, was my troop stripey over there. Yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. no, I know because he, he mentioned, yeah, he yeah. Mentioned, um, he mentioned that you were in there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to Tomo as well. Tomo's been on the podcast a couple of times yeah, too. And uh, yeah, it's interesting talking to people um, about that time and era. You know, we, we were super lucky when, when we when yeah. we joined. You know, we joined in kind of like that combat area, didn't we? Where yeah, exactly. You know, you had 15, 15 years of conflict. Basically, you couldn't have joined at a better time to to be a soldier and actually, you know, yeah. test yourself against all that stuff, didn't you? Really, exactly, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think those those sort of experiences, when you kind of convert it to what you're doing, you know, through your sort of like second part of your career. All the all the situations where it's like really hard and tense, and you're able to calm yourself down a little bit, especially when you're in the pressure situation, like in the fight. Yeah, you know that must have paid off quite a bit too. Mate, joining the joining the Marines was like the, literally the best decision I ever made in my life. Uh, it, it just set me up for life, like you say, just dealing with little things like that, but also like kind of um, how to explain. Just, you know what it's like in the core, you've got to adapt to things like that, and it's like you'll be given one detail and you start it off, and then it's change, all change every two minutes, and you're getting ready for one operation, you go on another, and blah, blah, blah. And things that then again, like coming into time management and managing people, managing because again, in the core, you're a section commander of eight lads, that's eight big personalities, though. There's, there's not many. There's not many little, small personalities in the chorus. There's a lot of big personalities, a lot of alpha males. So being able to manage them, it's, again, it's, that's just helped me being able to manage fighters in the gym. Taking recruits through training as well, being able to get a lad come in on day one as civ pop, civilian, to nine months later, you know, being, being a, a fucking warrior at the end of the day. Uh, again, that, that's helped me massively in, in training fighters up from day one and, you know, seeing them make that progression through to what what their, the, what their vision of a fighter is. Um, yeah, I mean, that, and especially, like you say, with, with, with the kind of time period I joined in, that we had all that conflict going on and, and that constant going from one thing to another. It, it's one of them, mate, as well. It's now, you know, when I start sitting down and feeling sorry for myself if I'm a bit tired or whatever, I can just look back on them days and, and like just give myself a kick up the arse and say, stop being a soft arse, man. 
when you were 24, you were doing five times this amount of work. So, you know, yeah, I feel I, lucky for that. I, I remember, uh, I remember coming from, cause I spent the first sort of like three or four years well, three years up in, uh, up in four or five, I did, um, I did a fleet, prote- fleet protection group. And then, uh, and then I did swap draft in my tanks course, uh, went to four or five and, and did up Jakarta and, uh, and, and Telic. Then after Telic, I got drafted down to four, two, and that's the first time I met you. And I remember right. I, I come down and, uh, were you in, um, were you in Bugsy's AD? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you were yeah. that grot, weren't you? Yeah. So I moved into the four-man grot, and I remember the very first day you lot come back upstairs from turning two in the morning, and you had the you had the the pellet gun game that you were doing. <laughs> Mate, do you remember that? I remember, yeah. I remember sitting in the four-man room just like that. I didn't know anyone, and it stopped. Just, just blasted the shit out of each other. Stupid. <laughs> hey, was... they 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 were good rifles as well. They, they were banging rifles. I'm pretty sure they, they'd be illegal nowadays. There were some powerful rifles we were using. Mate, so, so when, when you left, because you were only there a little bit um, when I was there, I think probably... About... I left in... Well, I left just after Norway, so we did Telic 1, yeah. then we did Norway, and then 40 were asking for volunteers to go back to Iraq on Telic 4, so I, okay. I volunteered and went back to Iraq with 14. But that must have been 2004 as well. Yeah, so that you, we must have only been sort of like in the same, in the same room for about what nine months, ten months maybe before you went. And uh, maximum, yeah. Yeah, after you left, there was this, <laughs> there was this young lad called, uh, uh, I won't say his second name, Mark. We used to call him Gumbo. <laughs> right. He was the wettest lad on the planet, right? And uh, Ad was in the, um, was in the same four man grot with us, but he was in like the adjacent one. And this lad, he had, he used to snore like it was going out of fashion. So in the middle of the night, AD used to get his pellet gun out and shoot him in the feet. Yeah, <laughs> no sympathy off Andy, mate. Mate, it was so funny. And all you do is this poor lad screaming in the middle of the night. You'd be like, well, what's going on? And you've been shooting him in the feet. <laughs> What did he say? You just give your position away in the middle of the night, the enemy shot you in the feet. Oh, mate, you'd feel sorry for anybody that was next to him if you were in a dug-in yeah, position. I'm going to say, imagine him in Afghan. Yeah. At, at, at the flock, getting your head down because you're angered out. <laughs> yeah, you'd be in trouble. When, um, when did you join the PT branch, so the physical training branch? Uh, 2006. 2006 went on my PT2s, yeah. Did you join for a reason? So you, obviously you were you were into your MMA and it was starting to become you know quite apparent that you could have a professional career out of doing it. Did you purposely yeah. join the branch to to do that or not? No, um, I, I joined the PC branch in two thousand and six. In all honesty, without all that much thought behind it, I was still a lance shack at the time, uh, and I'd not done my. To, I've not done me, uh, what's it called, your JCC, your junior command course. Yeah. And you were supposed to have done the junior command course before you went on your PT2s. So I applied thinking, oh, it'll probably be 12 months before I get on it anyway. And then they come back to me and they were like, right, you, your aptitude's in six weeks. And I was like, holy shit. So I went down to do my aptitude and passed that, which was an absolute goosing, absolute Three days of hell. I wasn't really prepared for it. No, not not the not the way I wanted to be prepared. Anyway, I was prepared enough to pass it, but not prepared enough that I wanted to be. 
But even then, I passed the aptitude and I was expecting them to say, oh, when you've done your juniors, you can come back. But they didn't. They were like, um, you've done well on your aptitude, blah, blah, blah. We're going to put you on the twos course. You're the first person ever to go on it that's not a full corporal. Blah, blah, blah. So don't fuck up. <laughs> All right. I'll do my best. So, yeah, I've done the, the twos course. Passed that. Went on the staff for a few weeks and I went, had to go straight on my junior command course. And then again, straight away, it was like, you're the only guy who's already badged as a PTI that's going on a twos course. So if you, if you fuck it up, it's going to look bad for all of us. So don't fuck up. <laughs> yeah, there's, not, there's not much pressure there, is there? Cheers, fellas. But yeah, I mean, I, I knew the, two, the the junior command course wouldn't be an issue anyway because it's soldiering, isn't it? And that's, that's all I'd ever done, you know. Um, but I was flapping about the twos course. Yeah, for any normal human being to put yourself through that, I mean, I there's nothing you can really do to prepare for it. It's just one of those where you just got to have mental fortitude to get through it. Anyone can do it. But it's just yeah. for mind, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to be a certain person to be able to do it because there's not a lot, not everybody, everyone can get gym fit. You know, like gym fit where you can do your pull-ups and your press-ups and you can run and stuff. But when you get that bottom field fitness and, and the, the physical robustness that comes with doing all the bottom field endurance courses, Tarzan courses, or, you, you know, your load carries and your speed marches and the fact that on your twos course, you, you know what it's like when you're doing you're doing like two or three PT sessions a day and stuff like that. I think it's a, I think it takes a certain type of person to be able to be physically and mentally robust enough to stick through that because it's just, you know, like when you're in the gym training to get fit, you like, you do a training session, then you recover, then you do a training session, you recover, and there's like a progressive overload and it's aimed at building you up gradually. Well, well that PT2's course is like the opposite of that, isn't it? It's just from day one. <laughs> fucking non-stop there's no recovery time it's train 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 and and in my opinion that is what's needed as well you know it's we're not there to be gym queens we're there to be the, you know the fittest soldiers that there is so you can stand out in front of everyone else and lead by example so you know that's the way it should be in my opinion it's just a fucking beast isn't it yeah but it's also ingraining that stuff it's the motor uh, motor response isn't it to everything so yeah you can do it when you're tired than everybody else, you've done more fizz than everybody else, or I don't know, lack of sleep or something like that. You can yeah. stand up there in front of everybody. It's that classic cliche, isn't it? Where a, uh, a Royal Marines PTI is a red coat. So it's almost like an act, isn't it? I mean, you know yourself, you know, you just, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like the closet grumpy guy, but I'm happy inside. But as soon as, you know, I'm out in front of somebody and like, hey, you know, my name's Ads, what are you doing? You know, all that sort of thing. And you kind of like, yeah, you, it's it's all part and parcel of what you're doing. And as soon as you start getting that ingrained into you, you can just do it naturally anyway. Well, Reedy was, uh, it was Reedy that took me through my twos course. I, I, uh, is Reedy the PTS, PTNS owner? He wasn't. He's, he's just left um, Al... Oh, Hewitt's just taken over now. That's right, yeah. Well, Reed, Reedy took me through my twos course. He was like the chief instructor. And, and he used to say to us on that, he said, like, ping whoever the, you, you view to be the most professional PTI, the best PTI, blah, blah, blah. And when you're in front of everyone on the dais and when you're taking your session, screw your head off, put his head on and be that guy. Do you get what I mean? And I just followed that 
a bit of advice and I just did that. Just pretended to be, or, or not pretend to be him, but pick out the best aspects of the best bits of his coaching or PTI or whatever it is, instructing, and try and use them best bits. And that's what I always did, just try to do that. And, you know, it kind of worked. That was, the, that was the thing that I found most difficult, really, was being, you know, that um, that extroverted person. Because I'm, naturally, I'm not an extroverted person. I mean, over time, you know, you, you gain those um, personality traits, don't you? Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're learning it and you're doing it day in, day out. And then, you know, once you've been on the PT staff, you know, you can do it with your eyes closed. But yeah. that was one of the hardest things I, I found was to be that constant, enthusiastic person all the Ball time. Ball of fire. Yeah, the ball of fire all over the place. I was like that. What do we need to do this for? But then you kind of get a bit older and a bit wiser and you're like, do you know what? I actually understand what they're on about now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, so uh, I've got another good story as well. So when um, when I did my twos course, uh, we did, do you, do you remember the Romans close combat um, piece? You had to do yeah, yeah. doctor training at the end. So... Like I said, I'm quite laid back. I'm into my surfing, you know, I'm quite chilled out. So when we came to do that, there was you, Pete Jordan and Dave Hill. All Winner. In that, yeah, the, the first day, <laughs> first day, mate, first day on the court. Winner. In, in that squash court. And I remember the last session that we did, and this is the only time I've ever felt like this, is that we did five five-minute rounds. And each five minutes, it was a new person that came in to grapple with you. I'd yeah. never done anything like that before. And after, yeah. those, after those rounds, mate, I went and took myself in the back of the corner while everybody else was cracking on. And I'd sit down and I was like, I always cried because it was so bad. Have a quiet <laughs> chat with yourself. Yeah, it was like you, Dave Villa, Pete Jordan, just throwing everybody everywhere. I was like, mate, okay. this is miserable. <laughs> that, 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 there are a couple of beasts you just mentioned there, Dave Villa, Pete Jordan. Absolute animals, mate. <laughs> yeah, mate, monsters. Absolute monsters. But yeah. Pete I mean, is, mate, Pete, do you know what? Pete Jordan is one of the great minds of MMA that nobody knows about because obviously he, he, he focused on his career in the Royal Marines. But, mate, Pete has got such a good brain for mixed martial arts. He's a bit, I think he's BJJ Brown Belt now. He's a, he's ex England squad boxer. But he, he was an RI as well. So he, he knows, you know, body mechanics really well, knows energy systems, he knows how to train people for peak performance such a good mind for mma if he ever sorry if he ever decides to open an mma gym or whatever i tell you what i will be traveling there because that that guy has got some knowledge some a serious amount of knowledge yeah he comes back every now and again i think he's come back yeah. like you know once or twice in maybe the last five years just to do a few not seminars but more like talks and you know yeah. talk, talking about the uh the Romans close combat so there's syllabus which i i know that you and um yeah. uh, pinky and, and a couple of other guys had quite quite a um a main role in really you know yeah creating that didn't you yeah yeah we did yeah i mean i think between myself and pete jordan and pinky we pretty much put 90 of it 90 percent of it together i mean it might have changed since but at the time when i left we put pretty much put about 90 percent of it together with a bit of help from some of the guys who've been over to the u.s marine corps Mace and stuff like that. Um, it was good though putting that program together because you know what the old the old one was all just crap, weren't it? All wrist locks and just 
just shit that doesn't work in a com in a in a in a chaotic combat environment. You know, you've got to be using techniques that are simple to learn, simple to carry out, and don't take loads of fine motor mechanics. We, you know, we were just focusing on things that took big motor mechanics, easy to do, easy to learn, easy to remember. Um, it was a lot of fun putting that together, and I think it was a bit of an eye opener for people within the core as well. Because when we were putting it together, there was quite a lot of pushback from the people up higher about like the intensity of some of the stuff we were doing. Oh, you might get people injured, this, that, and the other. But when, they, but they, they realised when they come down to watch what we were doing that that, that the risk of injury was completely outweighed by the like the the amount of skills people were learning, the amount of, the amount of real effective stuff that they were getting from the course, uh, to the point where they started bringing it all in as bottom field warm-ups and everything. Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but I certainly when I left, it, we were using the, the close quarter combat syllabus for bottom field warm-ups or warm-ups on the top field when the lads were going for a run. And uh, I think that that gave a little bit of credence to the us being able to de- develop the Royal Marines BJJ Association further down the line, like uh, that, you know, that Sam Sheriff's been so, you know, um, took a leading role in, in organising. And now, just look at it, the, the RMBJJ Association is going so strong, it's running so well. Um, I'm just glad that I, had, I got a, a tiny bit of input on that. And, I mean, obviously, Sam's the one that's ran with the BJJ Association and, and he's made a, a hell of a job out of it. But um, I think it's all kind of added together. It was built on them foundations. Yeah, the, um, the the syllabus itself is is still going, still going strong. I mean, when when I joined Four Two down here three years ago, uh, I I did the instructor trainer course because I knew that the uh, what we were talking about earlier about how the restructure of it is now gone like maritime. It's small teams going yeah. and doing room entries and stuff like that. And and what I found was that guys were going in they could do non-compliant entries so people that are just going to give up straight away but as soon as you throw a little bit of resistance into there people didn't really know how to do it and a four-man team going into a room kind of it it took four of them to take one guy down that that really didn't want to be yeah and it can do it it can do you know it's how many police videos do you see you know on facebook and stuff where it's taking six coppers to get one Especially if the guy knows a little bit of what to do and he's a little bit athletic and he's, you know, it's hard to it's hard to make that. Especially as well in the core, you don't know what's behind that door. You know, you, you're going through that door. You don't 100 percent know if there's one guy, four guys, are they armed, are they compliant, what? So you've got to have a, you know, you've got to have a set of drills and skills that you as a team know that if shit hits the fan, first man in knows what he does, second man in knows what he does, third man knows him what he does, and it's got to be kept as simple as possible as simple as possible because there's less cogs in the wheel to mess up yeah the um you know that, that's kind of one of my frustrations that i had for a couple of years here and, and i think it's kind of core wide is that um we're very stuck in a in a moment of where the cogs turn and everybody's just going into like we need to do a shooting package we need to do this we need to do that but all like the old classic commando stuff that you know Fairburn and Sykes. You know, I mean, you must have seen like the old, um, yeah, yeah, the old books about you know taking down yeah. a sentry and all that sort of thing. It, yeah. It's cliche and classic commando stuff, and I've kind of 
I don't know whether I've got to be in my bonnet about it a little bit, but I've tried to incorporate it as much as I can, yeah. uh, you know, and try and push it a little bit. And it was quite difficult. But now, you know, with the personalities that have changed down at Limston, you know, yeah. that's getting re-brought back in now as well. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it, it, and you know what it's like, especially when you're running the jiu-jitsu class, you teach somebody how to do, let's say, a mount sweep. Well, you can teach that with them once. And if they do that once a year, they're never going to be competent in it. They need to be on it all the time, don't they, to become, again, yeah. you know, that motor responsiveness. So it becomes a natural response when they need Grease it. in the groove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I think, and I'm hoping in the next five to ten years, you know, that's going to become a little bit... Um, a little more bit prevalent. more prevalent, yeah, 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 within it, which I think is a good thing because, you know, it takes us back to our grassroots of the whole purpose of why the commandos were made in the first place. Again, that, that comes back to a bit about what we were saying earlier about that time period when when like I was in and when you joined. It's, it, I think that time period has helped to flip people back round to that commando mindset because... You know, it could it could be said that like maybe through the nineties or you know late eighties and nineties, the, the Royal Marines, although the training was still at the highest level it could be, I think we just got used as just another infantry unit for a long time. You know, just doing the same tools as everyone else and blah blah blah. The only thing that that, that maybe kept us elite was maybe Norway and the Arctic warfare that we did. Um, but like you say, since that time period from like Telic 1 to about 2015 when we actually pulled out of Afghanistan in the end or whatever it was, 2016 or something, I think seeing the capability of the lads on the ground and seeing the actual, what the ground truth is of the, of the skills you need in them sort of wartime situations, I think it's kind of given the hierarchy and the powers that be a bit of a kick up the arse and all that we're not just another infantry unit we are commando soldiers and it's now the lads that went through that time period on the ground that are now at the top of the chain as sergeant majors and stuff like that so they're able to feed that back down through experience rather through reading textbooks um so it seems to be from obviously i'm not in the core anymore i'm talking from the outside looking in but from what i see and what i speak to people about like yourself just said there it seems to be coming much more prelevant now that that we that we are going but more back to our commando roots, our grassroots um, commando soldiering. And that's what the lads join up for at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, and go back to what you're saying, you know, jiu-jitsu has become, you know, one of those things within the core that um, was kind of lost. There was a lost era of about, about I reckon, about 15 to 20 years where martial arts used to be historically one of the most, you know, um, participated things Back in the day, you know, the the seventies yeah. and the eighties, you had judo, you had boxing, wrestling, and all those sort of things. You know, where 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 people participated in that. And you know, I mean, it's going to sound kind of chad, but you had those hard guys, yeah, those yeah, hard yeah, guys that you know could drop you with one punch or just throw you for a wall or something like that because they knew how to do it. Um, yeah. And I think now with what you know Sam was doing, um, you know, with the, the core jiu-jitsu team, the army, the RAF, martial arts is creeping back in a little bit to become like one of those. You still there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, he just flicked out for a little bit. Like, oh. Yeah, the phone's telling me I've only got 20% battery left. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, um, 
so yeah it, it's just flicking back to to becoming one of those uh it's creeping back in to be like a core sport again like rugby and football which is really and so it should do mate so it should do at the end of the day the royal marines are commando soldiers small teams small tasks with with big effects on the enemy and at some point you're going to come hand to hand and you, at some point you, you're going to need to know them skills do you know what i mean um yeah it, it needs to be in there and i'm glad it's come back in more Mate, one of the questions that I, that I really wanted to ask you was, um, you know, going back to your MMA um, career is, how, how did you manage being in the core but also being a professional fighter at the same time? With difficulty. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, mate, you, you, I mean, you know what it's like, especially when you're, when you're on the PT staff. You, you, you're 7am till, what, 6, 7pm. And even if you've not got sessions on, you've got stuff on. You're even running reports or you're fucking doing fizz with the lads. There's, there's all, you're non-stop, aren't you? So I was getting up at like half five, six o'clock, going down to the gym, getting 12 rounds in the bag, on, you know, on the, on the punch bags or doing some pads with Pete Jordan or doing strength and conditioning or whatever. Then I'd finish work and then I'd, I'd drive wherever. So like a lot of the time I'd drive to Exeter, Exeter SDCS, train there, couple of nights a week I train to Exeter BJJ train there excellent gym by the way if anyone's still in Exeter go and train with them um, sometimes I drive up to Bristol to train with Paul Reed, them, them guys and every single night I'd be travelling I'd be out as soon as work finished I'd be out for the whole night I'd be getting home at 11 o'clock midnight at, you know with my travel there and back and then get to bed and then the next day I'd start again then on a Friday I'd knock off work travel home all the way to Manchester stop off for training Friday night go home have Saturday morning off I go training Saturday afternoon then I get up and I go over to Robson Close for training Sunday morning and uh, that's what that's what it was you know it was just constant either on the road or training um, and I, I try and I, I don't, I, I don't want to bang my own drum about that sort of stuff but I do try and use them experiences to, to the young lads that I'm coming through these days because if you you know if you live in Rochdale or Greater Manchester, there's an MMA gym within half an hour of you. Do you know what I mean? If you want to be a fighter, you can be a fighter. Uh, you know, even if you've got a full time job, you can be a fighter. If you want it enough, you can be a fighter, and you can go all the way. Um, and you know, when people tell me, that, you know, I'm struggling with time or I'm struggling with this and all that, you're not. You're struggling with time management and you're struggling with priorities. You know, if you actually want to be a fighter, you can be these days. And you don't have to travel two, three hours a night like I had to travel. And I'm not making out like, oh, look at me, I did this or that. But sometimes it's hard to get through to people that the opportunity is right there on the doorstep if they just put that 10, 15% more effort into their days. You know, um, and, and luckily, luckily for me, I, I'm, the young lads that I've got in my gym are all really coachable guys and, and they all listen. And they're all at training every day. They're never missing. They're making them improvements every day. So um, it's somewhat that living that lifestyle that I lived for, for all that time and going through them fucking hours and hours on the road just to make training has paid dividends in the long run. Did you find that, you know, that's one of the reasons why you wanted to leave? I mean, obviously, you started to do a little bit better with your MRA career and then you're just like that. I, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, it, it, it was like, like I say, I was... I mean, I went over to and did the Ultimate Fighter whilst I was still in the core. 
Ah, yes. So right. I, was, I was over on the Ultimate Fighter, and basically, I, you know, I was training part time, if that really. Um, whereas everyone else on there was like full time MMA fighters, and that kind of made me realise like I've either got to do this full time or I'm not one of them guys who can be one foot in, one foot out with someone. I, fuck, I hate that. I just, I really don't. I can't get on with things that are non-committed. I'm either committed or I'm not. You know what I mean? And. I, I was at the point where I really wanted to do MMA and, and I just had to fully commit to it and that was it. Yeah, I, I see. Uh, when when people are kind of get to a level, I mean, there's a guy here, do, do you know, uh, heard of a guy called Chris Sherrington? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so so Chris Chris is an, um, uh, an Olympian and a Commonwealth gold medalist in judo. In judo, yeah. Yeah. Like I think he's heavyweight, but he's like yeah. super heavyweight. Yeah, <laughs> he's got, yeah, yeah. But his his hands, he could just put his hand on the top of my head and lift me up with them sausage fingers. That's how big he is. Yeah. And um, yeah, he, he's uh, he had to juggle his career like you did, but he did it for ten years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I think he struggled quite a lot because he tried to re um, requalify for the Olympics that should have been this year. And I think he struggled quite a lot with that because, you know, he's a Marine, just done his juniors, you know, yeah. very similar to you. And he kind of got stuck in that translation, I think. And they, yeah. again, for, for both of you, you know, comparing it, it must have been super difficult. And, you know, I could probably see where you kind of go, well, I've, you know, I've, I've done my time here. I've done my war fighting bits. Let's have a little change of direction and let's go and yeah. see if this is going to give it a go. I believe in that in life anyway. I think I believe you should always follow your passion. You know, if you really want to do something, you should go and do it because otherwise, 10 years down the line, you'll, you'll, you'll be living with regret, won't you? Um, and that, that's what I've always tried to do. And I always try and kind of advise the, the people that train with my students and stuff and my kids to do the same. You know, don't let anyone tell you you can't do something and don't let laziness creep in. Just get on with it, and, and if you if you're really if you're passionate about something and you want to do it, then do it. how many people do you hear say like I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that, or I would have done that if? Well, there is no ifs. You either do it or you don't. That's mm -hmm. that's the way I see things. Well, the question is back is well, why didn't you? Oh, yeah, exactly. There's kind of no excuses these days. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, outside of you know, some people have really bad circumstances where they have to prioritize other things, but you know. Most of the time, when you hear people tell you about why they didn't do something, it's usually just an excuse they've made up in their head, you know. And I don't like that, and I never want to be that person. So I want to set the example for my students, and I want to set the example for my kids to just follow your passion and get on with it. Yeah, 100% agree. So when you left the core, did you go straight back up to Rochdale, and then you went back to training at SPG up there, did you? Yeah, straight straight back to Rochdale, looking at opening the gym and that. Um, I was training at Team Cowbon at the time under Colin Heron. Um, again, another phenomenal gym and a, an amazing coach. He's Darren Till's head coach, um, Mike Grundy's head coach, Tom Aspinall's head coach. So I, I used to train up there with them guys over in Liverpool. Um, I, I stopped training there because at the time it was taking me to get there and get back. And it was just, by, by, by the travel time, I had no it was killing my time of getting the business up and running of the gym and stuff. And obviously leaving the core, I had to make sure that that was a success or else I'd be on my ass. Um, so yeah, I left there and I started training the SBG and um, met Carl Townswell properly. I mean, I've met Carl Townswell around the bazaars a little bit, but I, I, you know, I, I properly got to know Carl 
when I when I joined SBG and how fortunate I was to meet that man and, and start learning from him. And uh, not just martial arts, life in general, relationships, dealing with people. Um, Carl's now passed away um, and I'm just, I, I can't tell you how fortunate I feel for having been able to spend them years with him. We got, me and Carl were very, very close, you know, very close. And um, yeah, I'm just very lucky that I got time to, I got the chance to spend that time with him. Yeah, I've, I've spoke to, I'd say, three or four people now that have, like, like yourself and my jiu-jitsu coach and a couple of guys that, you know, trained up with you and, and in the SPG gyms and, you know, every single time they talk about it, they mention his name. Yeah. And, you know, people can't speak highly enough of him, if I'm perfectly honest. And I yeah. think that speaks volumes for, for the character of Guy. I mean, I didn't know him. I just know him from what people have said about him. And I think yeah. that obviously the way that he coached, or he coached um, and his way of teaching life lessons while, you know, doing that is... Yeah is something that's reflected on people now. And, and, you know, you know, we go back to talking about core and uh, the Royal Marines and being an instructor and, you know, you, you learn your best lessons off the people that you um, almost kind of uh, look up to, you know, that, that sort of person is going to be rubbing off on, on you all the time and making the, I've always been like that. I've always, I've always had to look up to someone. So I can't, I can't learn off people unless I've got a, unless I see something in them that I admire and that I want to... Like, for me, I, I, I could train with a jiu-jitsu coach who's got the best technical jiu-jitsu on the planet, but if there's not something within their personality or within the, them as a person, some, uh, with, with the way they project themselves to the world, I, I won't be able to train with them. I, I need, it needs to be more than that. You know, it needs to be... I need to align with their ideas and their ideals. And, you know, and with Carl, that, that's exactly... That's exactly what I found as soon as I met Carl. It was just the guy that he weren't just. He, he was coaching me MMA. He was coaching me jujitsu. He was coaching me striking, but he was teaching me more than that. Do you get what I mean? He taught the, the, the shit he taught me. He taught me so much, man. And uh, again, I'm just very fortunate. And and then when you look at all the guys that Carl coached that have now gone on to become coaches, like Matt Inman, you know. Uh, they're now passing them same lessons on to their students. So when you look at it like a pyramid for the amount of lives that Carl's touched and the amount of people that he's influenced with his his mindset and his approach, it, you know, it's in the thousands, mate, you know. So if I can one day come close to fucking touching 10% of the amount of people as Carl did, then I'll be happy. Yeah. It's almost kind of like the Mr. Miyagi syndrome, isn't it? Without doubt, mate. Without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. It's funny because I'm actually watching that at the moment. What's it called? Cobra Kai. <laughs> Cobra Kai. And, mate, you know, as cheesy as it is, as cheesy as it is, there's so much good shit in there about martial arts and the martial arts life and martial arts coaches and all that. There is actually so much good stuff in there that's relatable. And uh, like you say, a lot of that, I watch them and I just think back to Cal. Yeah, I really do. You know, um, and I'm, you know, There'll be millions of people out there that have got the exact same experience and 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 they feel the same and uh, it's, you know yeah I'm I'm just really lucky that 
that I had Carl in my life for them for that period of time. And I'm lucky that we've got Mr. Miyagi right now on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love a bit of Daniel LaRusso. Oh, mate. But are you Kai, Cobra Kai or are you uh, Miyagi Do? Do you know what, right? I'm really, really torn between it. So I was like, because <laughs> I, start, offense, I, I, was like, I started, <laughs> I started watching it and I was like that. Do you know what? Everything about this has just made me completely flip around to Cobra Kai. And I'm Cobra Kai, mate. Like, Do you know what? <laughs> Daniel LaRusso was a little prick. Burned his car out. <laughs> yeah, he did you, do, you don't see it because it's, you, you know, it's one perspective, isn't it, in the film? Yeah. And this has flipped it around you like that. Oh, I'm so tall. I don't know what to do now. It's funny when they actually, when they, um, when they give like the opposite perspective of it and they go back to the childhood and they're talking through it and then you actually think, actually, there's a lot of narratives could be drawn to that, to what's going on at the moment with media and stuff, you know, so. Yeah, big time. Have you watched, um, there's something called, uh, my missus put me on to it. She said, watch the social dilemma. Have you seen I'll, that? No, but I, I literally read a Facebook post about it yesterday and it's on my to-do list. I fly to Bahrain on Saturday, so I'm thinking about watching it on the flight. Mate, watch it. You'll be like that. I am never touching my phone again. Never touching it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an eye opener, put it that way. Because yeah. it's, it's, um, it's from the producers of like Google and uh, Facebook and the people that created it kind of to where it is now. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that will kind of you'll go fucking hell, I didn't I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so um, my, I think I'm gonna watch it on the flight on Saturday. Do it. Yeah. And then, you, and then you put your phone in the bin when you get off the plane. You can launch it. Yeah, man, big time. So um, you started, you know, started building your business up uh, with uh, SPG. Uh, I, do you know what? It sounds a little bit like you left the core to start, you know looking at a career of MMA, but then you kind of went back and you went, do you know what? I'm going to do the same again, but I'm going to build my own gym up, but I'm also going to compete at the same time. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I did, yeah. I mean, I, I left the course so that I could compete in MMA at that high level and, and start coaching because I love coaching, yeah. So um, what was the first big fight that, you know, you kind of took? Because you, you went through quite a lot of productions, haven't you? And I've got, uh, I mean, I did a bit of Chad research because that's what I do when I do these sort of things. So I counted it up and you've done, you've between sort of like when you first started your career to like Bellator, Bammer and Cage Warriors, you've gone through 10 different promotions. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when, uh, on, the, on the timeline, when you started going through like 2006, 2007, those were the, what those were the cage warriors and the Bellator and the Bama days, weren't they? That started building well, up to that time. Yeah, so I had my pro debut in 2007. Um, I think my first fight on cage warriors would have been 2008. Um, and I, I signed with, I think Bellator was about 2013. And I signed with Bama in 2014, I think. My, my, my first real big like, I'd fought for British titles and stuff on the, you know, the local promotions and stuff. I'd say the, the first real big event I was on was the, um, what was it called now? The the eight-man tournament. We did an eight-man, one-night tournament on, um, I think it was called Fight Stars or Cage Contender Fight Stars, something like that. Yeah. By Chris Orber. Big, a big eight-man tournament in one night. That, that was the first kind of real big Payday I got, and the first one that was big, you know, well publicised and stuff like that. Um, 
dogs are barking now, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I'd say that was the first big one, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm going to move forward a little bit because cause I was there. Uh, it was just coincidence that me and my missus uh, decided to go and watch the, uh, the 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 Bama fight when you won the lightweight title, and uh, up in Birmingham, I had no idea that the, you know Summer took a contingent of people up there as like your uh, your entourage, so <laughs> so to speak. And uh, have the go. Yeah, yeah, and that was the first MMA fight that we'd ever been to as well, because. Right. I only really got into like doing jiu-jitsu around about 2013, 2014. So I was quite lucky that, you know, my, my wife, yeah, yeah. she enjoys watching it too. You know, we still, we still do now. Um, but yeah, we went up there and, and uh, I think it was the first time I've ever seen you fight as well. And, right. and you won the title. And I was like, hey, yes. cool, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what, what was that like for you? Because you'd obviously been through quite a lot of... Um, you know, strife to get to that point um, mm. to have been quite an achievement or good feeling for you too. Do you know what though? You don't appreciate it at the time. Well, I didn't anyway. You know, I was, it was, it was a massive achievement for me and, and obviously I was very happy that I'd done it. But I don't think it, I, I don't really, you're always on to the next thing, aren't you? You know, you, you, I won that and then I'm like, right, now what? You know, so at the time I don't think I fully appreciated, you know, what it meant. Now when I look back on it, it's like it's a it's a massive achievement for me. But it's not the title so much. It's just the fact of all the work we put in, and and that it and that we believed in that work and it came off in the end. You know, uh, and again, Carl Tanswell was coaching me through. You know, he was in my corner for that fight, and um, his belief in me, and you know, his training methods and stuff, and me believing in them training methods and. That's what means more to me, that the fact that we put so much into it, we put so much together, all the work that went into it, all the belief that went into it, and it came off the way we wanted it to. Um, you know, when I look back on it, that's what I think about. I don't necessarily think about the title or the, the you know, the, the the nice belt or anything. It's it's the actual time period, start to finish. And I think even if I'd have walked out and got knocked out in the in the first minute of that fight. I'd still look back on that time period with the same appreciation that I have got now, because it's not always about the wins and losses, is it? Sometimes it's about the journey on the way, and, and you know what you learn. And, and journey can be a bit of a cliched word, but the stuff that I learned during that time period that I took forward with me, and those are the bits that I appreciate more than anything. You know, the the, the belt's nice, the title's nice, that's all cool and stuff, but it's it's the work, the minutes on the mat, the seconds on the mat. You know the, the the minutes talking to Carl, the mindset stuff we were doing. You know that's what I really look back on and appreciate. That's why the belt can come and go, titles can come and go, but that's always with me forever now. You know. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost kind of like the journeyman effect, isn't it? Where yeah, know, it, it's it's not necessarily you know achieving achieving the goal. The goal's the nice thing, the nicety, like you're saying. It's it's the experiences and the yeah. uh, uh, and the interpersonal relationships you build all the way through. Whether it's your training partners, your coaches, or other people that come into the fold on the way through. Yeah. yeah again, it, it's what we were talking about before is life experiences. You know, that's what you're gaining as you're moving through all of this. And and it's that word. Well, you, you just put the the S on the end of it. Experiences, you know, because. People talk about experience and they'll say like, oh, I've been doing this 10 years. That means nothing to me. 10 years, what's that? 10 years training once a month. 
Is it 10 years training twice a week? Do you know what I mean? The, ex the experiences within that 10 years that mean something. You know, I've got, I've got lads on my map that have been training three years, but they train two, three times a day and they make improvements two, three times a day. And then you speak to other people who say, oh, I've been doing this 10 years. You've trained once every six months for 10 years. You still there, mate? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, yeah. again then. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's the experiences within that time frame that mean the most. And some of my best experiences were in that time frame where I was training with Carl all day, you know, in and out. And not just training with him, talking to him via text all the time, phone calls, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, when I do think back about that and winning the Bama title and stuff, I, I don't really so much think about the fight. I don't really so much think about the belt or stuff like that I think more so much about them all the little experiences that I got and yeah I'm just fortunate that I got them you know what do you think is the most uh, memorable sort of like moment or time period that you can that you can think of that's happened between you know between 2007 when you made your pro uh, uh, debut to, to you know to present day have, have you got a moment that, that springs to mind well what, one moment uh, no I, I don't think I could there's been that many amazing moments. Like it's hard to pick pick one out. Obviously, when you look back, you, you, you like to pick out the, the, the big, you know, the, the achievements when you've won this or you've won that or blah, blah, blah. Um, but like I said earlier, it's, it's them little experiences all the way. Like, one thing I've always, always held close to my heart is the amount of support I've got from people in Rochdale and people in the Royal Marines. It's like, no matter where I fight in the world, or no matter what I'm competing, I've always got a massive amount of support from lads and people, you know, men and women in Rochdale and, and blokes in the Royal Marines. And it, it, it's those are the things that I look back on the most, you know, rather than just fights particularly. It's, it's those little bits of experiences. So it's hard to pick one out, man. I think what you've done really well as well, you know, with kind of like your media persona as well. And I mean, I don't know whether it's an intentional thing or whether someone told you to do it was, you know, you've held that Royal Marines banner sort of like super high, you know, and yeah. like now you, you're talking yeah. as if you, you, you're still, you're still in the core. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, no one's an ex Royal Marine, you know, you once a Marine, always a Marine. And yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. That classic, well, mate, uh, I, I tell you what it is, mate, and, and it is a bit of a conscious decision of mine now. But uh, what was it? Oh, yeah. Shut up. Dog's gobbing off. <laughs> they get the four finger point next, mate. <laughs> Dad, mate, you start, you start calling them fella and you'll just die. Fella! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, where was up to then? Just put me head up that. Mate, I have completely lost. Lots of Kate. Uh, yeah, Royal Marines, uh, you, you're holding the. Oh, banner. yeah, but yeah. Well, mate, yeah, it is a bit of a conscious decision, but it's one that's easy as well because. Like I, I like I keep saying, I, I think I'm very, very fortunate to have been in the Royal Marines and be surrounded by the people like yourself and like Pete Jordan, like Goose that we've talked about. You know, we've like Eddie Roberts, like Bugsy. You no, know, every single person we've just mentioned is a fucking hoofing bloke. That when I talk about the Royal Marines or when I put myself on social media, I want them blokes to be able to look at that and go, yeah, that's a fair representation of what we've done. And I'm and 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 the the proud that I've that I've said it or put it across in a certain way. I never want blokes that I serve with that I look up to to look at it and think you, you know Chad is your dad or whatever. Um, 
and just the Royal Marines in general as an organisation, I owe so much to it. I owe so much to it. I probably, you know, I wouldn't be on this path if it wasn't for my time in the Royal Marines. Uh, and, and you know, when I talk about it or when I portray myself on social media, I just want it to be honest, and I want people to see that the Royal Marines is, uh, you know, fucking for me the best organisation in the world you could ever want to be in. And I got to spend twelve years there, so you know, it's done wonders for my life. Well, I love the point that you know you call you you called yourself fifty cal as well, which I don't think people will quite understand. You, oh, he's called himself after a big machine gun, but you know, <laughs> people don't think I realised that you're actually in anti tanks, which involved you know anti-missile yeah. launchers and you know heavy machine guns as well. Hence the yeah. reason why you know yeah. you named yourself that as well. You know, I spent a lot of time sat behind a fifty cal. <laughs> but uh, do you know, I, I saw a few photos the other day. In fact, Goose put them up with uh, with a load of brass behind the fifty cal. Up, um, up when, you, when he says fringes. brass to anyone in Rochdale that's watching that, he actually means bullets, not not the other sort of brass. <laughs> What's the other sort of brass? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say on here, mate. <laughs> Fair one, mate. So, uh, what what have you got going on at the moment? Are you uh, are, are you stuck into something? Are you training anyone? You know what's kind of going on in your world at the moment? Well, the the one big thing that that I'll mention on here uh, is Jamie Kelly. Um, anyone anyone that's you know into MMA or whatever social media, get behind Jamie Jamie Kelly. Give him a follow on social media, uh, Jamie Kelly MMA on Instagram. He flies out to Bahrain on Saturday. I'm fine, flying out there with him for uh, Brave MMA. And it's such a good fight. He's competing against Mohamed Mokayev, um, who's like the two or three-time amateur world champion. Um, look, Mokayev's like the most exciting up-and-coming bantamweight in Europe. Jamie Kelly's the most up exciting up-and-coming flyweight in Europe. They're meeting at a catchweight. They're both from Manchester. They're meeting at a catchweight. And they're both flying to Bahrain to fight, put on pay-per-view, you know, worldwide. So that's the biggest thing I've got coming up at the moment. We fly out there on Saturday. He weighs in on Wednesday and the fight's on Thursday. So anyone that's watching this, get eyes on that and give Jamie Kelly a follow as well. Give Morka a follow as well. You know, they're both two young up-and-coming guys that are going to put on an exceptional fight. That's probably going to be one of the most exciting fights you'll see this year. So get on there and get eyes on. I'll put the uh, put the link into the uh, podcast when it comes out on Monday, so uh, you know, so people can see it. When you're back down down south, when you're back in the southwest, I I don't know there, boy. I got to start talking <laughs> like January again, innit? I don't know, mate. I'm from the Midlands, but I've spent my last 15, 18 years down here. So yeah, I don't know, mate. I want to. I mean, that, that southwest is uh, quite important to me. You know, it's a it, it was a big part of my life living down there. You know, so. I, I do need to get back down pretty soon. I, I hope that I'll be back down this side of Christmas, but we'll see, won't we? It depends what's going on with all this um, COVID madness. Mate, I think what would be super cool is if uh, we could organise maybe to get you down to do a little bit of a seminar or something, you know. Anytime, once, man. Anytime. You know, especially when COVID gets gets gone or, you know, we're able to train in big groups again. Um, you know, everyone needs a big stapes on the mat telling us what to do, don't we? <laughs> I'll try my best, mate. I might get filled in by the blokes at 4 2. You're joking, mate, aren't you? <laughs> mate, I'm nearly 40. I couldn't fill myself in. <laughs> couldn't fill in a form, fella. Yeah, mate, yeah. <laughs> couldn't fill a bag rat. <laughs> mate, I, uh, 
appreciate you talking to me on the podcast and uh you know i'd i'd love it if you come back and talk to us again you know soon yeah anytime mate anytime thanks for the invite mate it's been good to catch up with you mate absolutely beautiful martin stapleton thanks for coming on the grumpy surfer podcast and that's it mofos if you're enjoying the podcast please like share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also follow the grumpy surfer on instagram thanks for listening (laughs) 